Hello and welcome to the Kasinatian, Kasayuran, Kasaysayan, Kamatuuran podcast. And now also welcome to the Learning Playlist. This is um this is a show dedicated to uh, discussing the latest topics of interest for for Cebuanos in general and Filipinos in particular. This is your host Ryan Dave Rayla, educator and voice in the wind. For this session which will be covered also in the learning playlist, no? especially for my students who are listening to this podcast. We have here our guest for this day. He is Mar Louis Vincent Reyes. He is uh, the founder or rather the, the anchor of the School on the Air, 91.7 Ben FM. He, is also, um, he also has a different uh, similar podcast for, for that show. And he is a paper presenter who has presented much paper, uh, many papers in the past. And also he, his key interest is on religion. Mar Louis is also a master, master of Arts candidate for the degree of Master of Political Science. So he is joining us today to discuss about globalization and religion. So a bit of a context for our listeners. We are talking about this as part of the next module for uh, for my subject, the contemporary world. No, we have we have several, or rather, I have several classes under my tutelage for this semester on that subject, and they and the students are currently listening for the students of TCW. So, um, this one's for you. So, Mister Villian, uh, Mister Reyes, mayong hapon. Uh, mayang hapon, Sir Rayla, and mayang hapon sa itong mga tigpaminaw and the students who are listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, Mr. Reyes, let's begin with um, the, the premise of this of this podcast. No? So, ang atong premise for this morning, or for rather, atong premise for today is um, we are talking about religion in an age that is hyper-connected, no? hyper-connected, meaning um, an age where connections are made um, almost on an instantaneous basis um, like most likely on social media in particular and in on the internet in general so on that note mr reyes starting on that note um, what do you see as for example what do you see as um, as crucial for understanding religion in today's world Okay, so given the scope being global, I want to start with a little history lesson. Uh, in the early early points of history, as we know, religion and the state were almost connected. Uh, according to Habermas in particular, he did note uh, that there was a time wherein, yes, the prince, for example, there was no distinct uh, there was no difference between the holdings of the prince in terms of his efficient capacity as the leader of the state and of course the state's holdings but by the time that there was this gradual uh, separation no between the church and the state there was now a separation not only between uh, the connection of the church and state, but also of the property holding power of the prince. That there's such a thing as the prince's own property and the property of the state. Now, that's an interesting thing to think about because um, if we have to understand the development of secularism, it's not actually just the separation of church and state. It's the separation of a kind of hegemony or kind of control over things. 
that uh, once the church no longer became the center of power in Europe, the state, in effect, lost it, or rather not just the state, but the monarchy lost its ability to completely control uh, property. Then we go, let's skip a little bit to the modern period, and then we have uh, we, we see this uh, trend of modernization in different countries. Not only are European or Western in general na influences kay strong kaayos o bang mga partes kalibutan, like, you know, America bringing all the McDonald's that they can, but there's also this gradual shift of thinking. Some say it's more secular, less religious. Some say it's more rational or, or less cultural or religious based. But uh, as we go further into this history, we begin to realize it's more than that. 9-11 changed the scope of religion. We cannot deny that. Because, for example, until, until that point, we've never heard really of any religion-motivated DAO, religious-motivated terror attacks. When 9-11 came, everyone was pointing at the religious factor, that the attackers were Muslims, that the attackers were of this particular culture, and thus began not only a wave of persecution against Muslims, and that's really a reality, there was a persecution, but also a growing interest in religion. It's just that this interest in religion, especially in the study of international relations, is not like in favor of or whatever. It was really mostly antagonistic, like pointing out that religion was the cause for violence. And this is the backdrop of understanding the impact of religion in a globalized world. Everyone from like the ordinary student to, uh, especially in college, you know, to any social science person would have this perception of religion as this other that has been somewhat excluded from the modern canon of the world. The modern canon is rationality, everything Western, etc. But now, we see a different trend. According to Bruce, he did say, actually, that um, the secularization thesis, this main model of thinking of religion, is not actually entirely true. In the secularization thesis, it is said that when countries develop or progress, they gradually divorce their religious roots or religious tendencies. It's no longer like religion is... The, the be-all, end-all of every decision in the state or on in the individual or especially in the community. When they modernize, no more religion at all, in fact, in, in the common conversations. But in truth, there is a resurgence of religion. As I said before, there was a resurgence in the study of religion in international relations. That's very important to take note of when we study religion in globalization. But, and this is important as well, not only was there a resurgence in understanding religion, there was actually a resurgence in religion itself. Religiosity increased and also on this idea of resisting modernization, among other things. The point is, modernization did not erase religion or its relevance. It actually made it more obvious that there was such a thing as religion. It's just that between the Enlightenment and the modern period, or before 9-11, medyo namta sa atong sense of religion. That's it. Mm, I see. So that's a very interesting history lesson, Marno. Considering that um, religion is, uh, as, a, as, a, as a topic in general, or rather as, a, as, a, as, as you see it, no? and as viewed from history, has been ebbing and flowing. No? So kung binisaya pa, ni Taob ug ni Hunas. No? So there's been a flow of religion not not simply as um as many would claim that religion is going away 
but rather there is a resurgence of religion in in many parts of human history no so that's a very interesting uh, point of view and a very interesting insight you gave there mar Yes, and I'd also like to point out that this should be obvious to Filipinos, that religion is never going away anytime soon. Mm. Even if we have different administrations that are trying to be secular, uh, I read this paper by Sir Abelianos on who, who has actually a good point that religion's morality is probably the only thing that we can consider as the guiding morality of the state. Why? Um, and this is just, of course, from my political analysis as, a, as an opinion maker, uh, the president, right now, Duterte, and his uh, alleged human rights violations, they're a revelation that the state doesn't exactly have a clear moral compass. In fact, most of our moral compasses did not come from the state. They came from the church. Look at 1986. It's a revolution. Even those protest movements against uh, mga crimen against nature, uh, the environmental movements, most of the moral or ethical aspect, we see that in the church the Catholic Church, but even more than that, we see that religion itself did not subside. In fact, you could even argue because the state doesn't have a strong moral framework that religion is quite dominant here in the Philippines. Does it need to be institutionally dominant? It just needs to be the norm. Since the, the time of the Spaniards, Murag, wala kaayo ni siya na papas betaw, sir. Ang mentality nato na akadang moralidad, religion rana, dili sa balaod. Ang balaod kay uh, but no matter what you can tell a person, most of them would say, you know what, all this moral talking, this, this comes from religion, really. Mm, I see. So you are now equating religion with morality. And of course, for the listeners, no, um, maybe maybe you're thinking, well, that's not how, that's not it exclusive. That's not, um, that's not, let's say, that's not, uh, that, that that's not simply kanang how how clear cut things are no because morality can be based on a lot of things but for the sake of this discussion no to ground this discussion uh, I'd like to I'd like to point out to the listeners that um, when we're talking about religion as a force in society we we talk about it from the perspective that it does give us some standards of mora of morality considering that the teachings of religion has many groundings in ethics and as well as in faith in general so with that without out of the way um let's talk about kwanmar let's talk about um this this particular this particular um uh, proposed beatification of a, of a boy born in 1991 but who actually died in 2006 from complications of his body no he was carlo acutis and now, in the time of, let's say, in the time of hyper-globalization, or sorry, in the time of globalization, he is being viewed as the patron saint no, the patron saint of the youth of today. And some are even colloquially calling him as the patron saint of gamers, considering that Akutis, during his day, when he was alive, he did play games on the internet, at least in the early 2000s. So... In that in that aspect, no, in that aspect, to bring home the discussion of religion in general, is the church, um, let's say, adapting? In particular, when we talk about the church, we're talking about the biggest um, organized religion in the world, which is the Roman Catholic Church. Now, is the church um, trying to get get along with the times with this beatification of um, Carlo Acutis, no, blessed Carlo Acutis, or um, 
or is the church really just pandering to its to its younger demographics? Okay, let's start with the beatification significance on the church. I think yes, it's a very historical. I think we've never had a saint from this period. But it's not uncommon to have saints of a young age. Um, Maria Goretti is probably one of the most famous examples, but but her case is very, um, yeah, very uh, PG and very particular. But at the same time, yes, she was a rape victim. In fact, the patron saint of rape. But at the same time, we see that the spirit of youth is quite close. There are many young saints. With this one in particular, I think we can understand it not so much as maybe pandering or getting along. But as an example, that holiness takes many forms, many paths. And it's something that uh, Catholics can be inspired by. I think there's this uh, notion that the church is outdated because it's still stuck to the times, uh, to, to, to its times you know, in the past. Uh, for example, its view on women, there are no women priests, and that uh, its view on homosexuality is mostly the same. Although, of course, we have to clarify that we are not actually against homosexuals per se. We're against the, you know, the but that, that's not important here for this discussion. What is important, though, is what the church is trying to represent, whether or whether via this canon uh, beatification or in any mode. You see, the church has been known to adapt through different times. I mean, given its association with science, which is not negative, actually, it's pretty positive for the most part. But uh, its adaptations are quite important for, for example, in how we perceive uh, it's it's relevance to the world. You see, the v Vatican II was probably the big step towards, uh, I would say, globalization of the church. But the church has always been global anyway. But this is where we have to understand that the beatification is, for me, one sign of closeness to this generation. But as to the context of globalization or to the church uh, showing itself being in the times, I think that's already it's already an, a norm for the church. Uh, especially with, with its popes. Kine, the Pope is like the representation of the Catholic Church. So we look at the church's actions, we see the Pope, right? Pope Francis is really with the youth here. He, uh, to be clear, there's this perception that he's liberal or whatever. Some are trying to paint him also as major conservative, whatever, but that, that's missing the point of the conversation. Uh, we have to see Pope Francis and by extension, the Catholic Church, not as limited to these confines of ideologies but as trying to present the gospel in a language understood by the people. That is why he's a Pope of mercy. He's not trying to say we're not, we're ignoring the issues of abortion or same-sex marriage, or we're trying to fit into the times. What, what, what this means for religion in general is that ultimately the message can become across in many different ways, whether in social media or in any other form. And for a millennial saint to be a representation of the times is really fitting because for many people, ordinary people or a gamer, really fun, no? Gamers, uh, they can see themselves no, as being holy, that their lives can be consecrated to something bigger than themselves. And I think that really is what religion can do for this time. Mm, I see. That's a very that's a very nuanced, no, that's a very um specific uh, outlook. And that's also very conmar. That's very good as a, let's say as a reflection. A millennial gamer, or rather, sorry, not a millennial gamer, but even a millennial saint. No, he's even younger than I am. No, I, by a year. So yeah. In that, in that regard, that's really interesting. That um, it brings brings home some of the messages that the Catholic Church has been preaching to its flock for generations. No, 
especially with the, with a generation now that is um well not all pero we can consider that the generation of today is a lot less closer to um to the institution of the Catholic Church in that regard. So that's a very insightful I um, that's a very insightful um, idea that you raise, Mar. No? We can be holy or holiness comes in different packages or different forms, not just the kind of saints that we see on the church. So um if I may if I may add more to that if I may add more to that um to that point that Go you ahead. made. Um I'd like to ask, for example, um, how do you, how do you let's say, for example, how do you see yourself as a as a millennial of today, uh, considering that you are also you are also very techy, you know, you're you're very you're very into let's say various various um various gadgets, for example, various uh, various platforms for your advocacies, and of course with 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 your social life being put on hold at least physically you are also um you're also very much into social media so tell me mar as a young millennial of today how do you see yourself in relation with the world and of course in relation with um with religion okay let's start with the world and i think this one is very clear to many people social media has really revolutionized communication there are many arguments left and right, regardless of ideology, that are talking about the boons and the banes no, of social media. But I think we can just sum it up in this way, sir. Uh, social media has effectively made communication more multidimensional. Not only are we talking about different modes of communication and different reaches. We have Skype, Zoom. Okay, Zoom, that's a new innovation, siguro, na we can have meetings and at the same time mas claro ang pag, pag converse no or google meet like of course th there are many ways to go about it but at the end of the day multidimensional ang communication uh you can be friends with someone whom you've never met and it's still real like imagine in the pandemic you're worrying about not meeting your friends but then there are alternatives like zoom or google meet you can actually catch up gihapon or Facebook, it has rooms right now. It's like it's it's like social media is literally trying to find ways to make us more invested in our time with other people. Now that's just a stretch to say, you know, social media actually cares about what you need. That's a very big stretch, of course. We have we have to know corporate interests. But my point is, if we're trying to talk about utility at least, no, we can use social media to better connect to people, even if we ourselves are so far away, especially if you have relatives from outside. And that's actually that's actually something that I should mention, no? even if this is not within the context of our discussion. Friends from outside, no? Uh, our ability to communicate with different cultures, that's actually one benefit of social media. We're able to understand people better. And I think that's why uh advocacies na strengthen, you know, Black Lives Matter, uh, etc. etc. Or even about understanding religion. I I'm hoping that social media, if there's a study, you no, know, social media reveals to be helpful in clarifying religion or at least increasing religious piety. That that could be an interesting study. Which leans into the next point here, uh, on my my relationship with religion and technology. Uh, yeah, I have to admit, I'm a little tired of my uh, superiors in the church kind of treating technology as a bit of a drag, bit of a show. I, I understand, no? Listen, see, maybe we're, you're, you're being cautious, our, our fellow leaders, uh, clerics, 
na this might be an addiction and all of that. But our relationship with technology should be balanced all the time. Uh, as a person who's watched and been terrified by Black Mirror, I should know that that technology is, is this really delicate thing that we have to be careful with when it comes to relationships with it. So with religion, I think it's much easier. Uh, for one, the innovations of the church. Yes, I have to bring this up. The I, my study uh, that I presented in the second ICAS conference and CNU International Conference of Arts and Sciences uh, that was held last September 29 to 30. I presented last September 29 in the afternoon uh, my paper or rather my study on the contribution of the Catholic Church to the COVID pandemic. One thing I should mention in the context of this question is its innovations. Now, I, I noticed in the news that there's a lot of ways that the Catholic Church has been trying to keep up. First thing to note is that the Catholic Church is no stranger to pandemics. When it comes to these situations, we're actually quite flexible, even compared to most religious groups. Uh, as an anecdotal experience of mine, uh, in our parish, yes, we follow social distancing rules. So, yeah, and uh, as and, and as I've noticed, it's it's not... bit like they, they, they go to church, they follow the rules, social distancing. It's fine. Even confessions during... Uh, there was this one occasion we had a confession. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty okay in terms of organization. Not 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 splendid, just okay. But it was well done. There was there was lining. There was social distancing. But going back to technology, okay, yes. Uh, one innovation, for example, is on online prayer petitions. In fact, the CBCP was really smart about this. That they actually prepared this for Undas as well. That instead of going to cemeteries, na, they can just send in prayer petitions, and the priests will just have mass. Live streaming masses, that's actually an, an innovation in itself. We've never experienced this mass wave. Yes, we have, we've had live streamed masses way before the pandemic. Many people have seen, I have seen those live stream masses. But here, it's like the pandemic is encouraging more creative ways for priests to minister, like better looking live stream masses, etc. And I'm impressed, actually. The dedication to actually adapt. Some priests don't actually know much about this stuff, and that's okay, but they're learning. And especially in, in one another anecdotal example is in the station that I my uh, I and my dad work in on uh, 91.7 Ben FM. We have priests who actually send their pre-recorded masses. In fact, actually, my after school on the air, there is a mass uh, after that. To reach people who don't even have cell phones to watch their live stream masses from, they can still hear. And yeah, and that's the beauty of it. Technology isn't a hindrance really to religion. And I even think that it does bridge bridge gaps. And that's one way, innovations. Uh, online donations, If yes, it's a very big problem here in the church that uh, they're running out of money, especially if they are actually helping the poor. In fact, uh, one of the biggest obstacles I noticed in my study when it comes to helping out the poor is funds because well as a collection but innovation strikes uh there is uh th there are online donations and all of that even live stream masses are sponsored point is technology is really useful especially if you apply social media in uh in evangelization and i even consider my own podcast school on the air as one means to reach that goal to evangelize, but I treat evangelization as this opening up to people to bring people to the message that I believe anyone can receive freely and, and willingly. Mm, I see. So that's uh that's very insightful again, Mark, as a as a as a point no that you've made. 
that indeed religion is uh, sorry that indeed um, technology is not a hindrance to religion despite what many um, despite what many individuals especially individuals in positions of power say you no know, especially within the church that um, that technology can can do some harm but as um, as from your perspective as a lay person and as a millennial that um, that technology is actually bridging gaps that were already existing before but have been exacerbated or that has been amplified by the pandemic especially the gaps in let's say um let's say of how to reach out to people no with with means like uh like streaming for now etc but um technology is not always available to everyone mar and this leads me to my next point to be uh, for us to discuss this afternoon and that point is uh for example, um, that point is how can the church, or how can um, since we're talking about religion and and of course you're affiliated with the Roman Catholic Church, no? Um, how can the church, for example, uh, let's say, not only reach out, but how can it, but how can it um, tap into the the minds and hearts of of let's say um of people of your generation who would prefer to be uh let's say who would prefer to be on TikTok rather than on mass. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> actually that's one of the hurdles Mita. One one thing to note is that live stream masses are not a substitute for physical masses because well just to cut the long um story short when it comes to the doctrine behind it uh, the physical reception jud matters. In fact, most sacraments dapat physical. In confession, there's no such thing as teleconferencing confessions. It's just you're allowed to dispense advice, just not the um, absolution. Or marriage. Uh, there's already a talk about you know virtual marriages. No, but the church is this is really against it because for them there has to be the physical presence of witnesses. But yeah, I agree. It can be difficult, especially with distractions everywhere, which I think. In a way, it's also another avenue, Siguro, for the church, the Catholic Church, especially to to try and find meaningful ways to get away from them. There's one thing I like to mention, put the eye, and it's that every religion has this form of spiritual discipline, uh, ways to guide decision making, etc. And what I love about the Catholic Church is that there are many, many ways to spiritually discipline yourself. One example is the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. But there's a lot of points there. But I want to point out especially how in these exercises, it's not only an internal discipline, Bitao. It's also the realization essentially that you're not the only person who has to be, uh, who, who has to redirect himself. I mean, think about it. Uh, the Catholic Church is a very social kind of religion we're in these kinds of things, pandemics are really going to get in the way of the reception of the Eucharist, the communion with the church, or even activities involving helping the poor. But uh, within these dark hours, we somehow find ways to, to, uh, to focus more on ourselves. I think there was this uh, brilliant point by one bishop who did say that people have more time now, but there are fewer rituals. Now, there's going to be contention if people say, hey, so the rituals are distracting us from internal reflection. To be, to be clear, no, that's not what he meant. What he meant is that once we're more at home, I think that's more opportunities for us to reflect. And maybe we should focus on uh, exploiting those moments of reflection 
for me, just as there are many opportunities for destruction, there are many moments of reflection. I myself love to reflect while accidentally walking myself into a forest. Uh, yeah, it actually happens a lot. But can I say, yeah, you reflect on things you never expect. Like, like if you're reading a book, you, oh yeah, that's what it means. That's the theme of the story. But also on your meaning as a person, as as I would put it, uh, usually in my progress, I'd say keep learning and find the fun along the way. Actually, I up. You can apply that literally. Like as you wander around your life, you would actually find meaningful things. In fact, let's let's talk about fun. Can I say, just because uh, there's plenty of distractions, it doesn't mean that they're all bad. I I have to preface this. It's important to have fun. It like for example, when you're talking about mass, of course you have to keep your disposition. It's very important when you're listening to something spiritual. You are focused. You're directing your focus on this uh this thing this, this this thing you're focusing on the worship itself that's why th that's why we focus so much on the form and the matter of rituals but then what about this what if there's no physical form for that rit ritual what do we do i mean we have our cell phone one minute you can see the live stream masses the next minute the Facebook. next minute you <laughs> see this um this distraction is ad so what do you do is well, of course, you have to keep yourself disciplined. These are challenges, so you find an opportunity to keep disciplining yourself. But the most important takeaway, okay, I think I'm rambling on too long for this particular point. I mean, there's so many distractions, no? What if we convert some of them into fun but meaningful activities, no? Not just TikTok. I mean, yeah, sure, TikTok's popular these days, but what about this? Uh, when was the last time you've read a book? When was the last time you've enjoyed something like, okay, this is going to be very geeky, Ronsa, but I mean, come on. These are students here. I think they, they deserve to be entertained here. You guys probably like anime or manga or cartoons, whatever you could call them. Yeah. Uh, you you watch them, you consume them, you, you enjoy them, but along the way, you'll learn something. Like, look at Naruto, for example, inspiring people to never give, give up or whatever. Or, or look at other things, like... like uh, uh, whether it's light or dark, it doesn't matter. But the point is, what you're watching, no, it influences you to be a better person. And that's really meaningful. And I think after those moments of maybe you, you see yourself distracted with the next Netflix series, you'll ask yourself what the meaning of life is. And I think that kind of distraction should be encouraged. Just that we have to discipline ourselves along the way. Hmm. That's very interesting. But if I may add, no, the distractions are fun, are, you know, they can they can really put us off our goals and of course our visions, especially uh, our, our visions of ourselves. That is, and and it can also lead us astray in many in many regards. No, um. But with that, let's go to the con second to the last talking point, and that is um, uh, that is the the concept of uh, not only distractions but the concept of religion in general. Uh, what do you think, for example, of the notion? that um that that religion should be should be let's say uh, in particular we're talking about catholicism no religion in the form of catholicism um should be for example should be should be adapted to to fit the 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 changing lifestyle of gen z and of course in the near future the emerging gen alpha no alpha gen of um of the next generation so 
what do you think for example that um now that millennials and gen z's are getting older and of course have been become more accustomed compared to the previous generation with um with their lives on social media in general and in the internet um what do you think of religion let's say becoming more and more um a thing of the internet rather than just something that is personal and and spiritual uh could you repeat the last part i think i kind of got lost there okay um what do you think of um let's say religion adopting more and more and ga- gaining the trappings of of the internet age you no know, it becomes more of let's say perhaps just another app in our oh, arsenal oh. of apps within within this global internet age yeah okay yeah that's actually something that that is going to challenge anyone regardless but i do have a few talking a few points to mention on that and i think this is something that we have to pay attention to uh let's let's talk about catholicism for a bit because there's a trend here that we need to pay attention to now um most young people actually want to look for authenticity that's really what they want to look at for the church that means tradition it's actually true that there is a growing traditionalist tendency but it's not bad in fact that's actually really good because uh the church is very rich in traditions i'm not simply talking about the latin right the latin masses that we don't always hear that were pretty prominent back then uh, that's what the youth want that for them is the sign that this is the church that's the church that i know it's authenticity that's one layer of it but there's also other rights like the eastern right etc they're all the same part of the church they're all part of it but another dimension to it aside from authenticity or identity is this space bitaw i think there's something strange about the for me lang no and this is another important talking point there's something strange about forcing forcing a, a certain space or area bitaw to conform to to the age now to clarify the church is really good at conf- uh, not really conforming to adapting to to any age it is in uh there are different levels of adaptation one that should be important for many uh, students of history for example is uh why the church was particularly silent about slavery but to be clear they're not actually supporting slavery in fact they condemned the institution ever since it's just that uh, the bible in particular supports uh i'm not going to sugarcoat it na lang but they do support slavery just not the not the african american slave trade kind of slavery the one that you were in you, you treat slaves as people and then after a certain period of time you have to let them go the universal destination of uh, earthly goods and unfortunately unfortunately that includes slaves still applied there but regardless uh, going back to what i said uh i don't think it's it's fitting for every area of life statehood or whatever even our identity stuff to conform to a specific age because Well, times change all the time. Uh, what I mean by this is, for example, for religion to follow the trends of belief systems, of, of these ideologies that they have to conform or else you get cancelled. Yeah, yeah. Cancel culture is something I really... Yeah, that's another topic. But the point is, there is this notion that churches have to get get into the times. They're so behind. No. Um the church will adapt will accept technology 
will always reach out to different communities. Ministering to the LGBT is not something we're not allowed to do. In fact, we are encouraged to minister to mm -hmm. to the nuns, the people who do not believe in our in our religion. We minister to them, not force them like the, the Spaniards did to us, but to meaningfully engage with them, Bitao. If we're not going to engage with people, what's even the point of having this faith in the first place? And that's really my main point. If we're talking about Catholicism becoming another app, that's, I'm afraid that's the result of the secular, secularization thesis coming true. That's, that's really what uh, scholars have been saying, that essentially the secularization thesis is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you think that religion is no longer relevant to society, you're suddenly going to make religion so privatized that there's no particular need to be so public about it. And yeah. scholars like Casanova, uh, there are many others, but the point is these guys disagree with that notion that, that there is such a thing as public religion, that there is such a thing as public Catholicism. Yeah, it and, brings me to the, Juan Marno, if I may interrupt for a while, it brings me to the, to the point, but rather to the thinking but that um, in this age of, of globalization and interconnectedness, um, can religion become just another Netflix or another, let's say, another another well in general another app that we install and uninstall and update every once in a while that is part yeah. of what what we are as as consumers of of this age no we are consuming apps and the apps that we download for example are are customized according to our personal preferences and it really brings to to focus the uh, religion today um is religion competing with so many things that are also part of the array of choices that we are presented with. Yeah, I think the more we commercialize things, areas of life, especially religion, the less meaning they hold. And I think that holds true for everything. If we're talking about books becoming like, ah, Kenny, Mar Marvel movies, no, they're really good in terms of quality and all of that. There's so many of them, but, but have you noticed that we're kind of overfed, oversaturated na ang genre? Yeah. So, mawa bitaw ang meaning. That's mm -hmm. the same with, imagine if religion was treated the same way as movies. That religion can become this trend or app and we're, like, for example, some guy would say, okay, religion's trending right now. Let's make it more popular. Let's upload these new Jesus-related apps and all of that. I think the more we focus on commercializing or making religion popular, the, the less sense it makes for religion to be relevant in the global lens. What religion should do instead at this time no, is to be itself. It shouldn't be ashamed of being itself. That's why the youth are looking for authenticity. Like There's so much stuff going on. We're overloaded with information. There's so much going on in society. Like, Is there a place where we can relax? Oh, there's religion. Relax there. Why? Because in that empty space in your heart, you find this missing piece of yourself maybe that's what you're looking for uh there are many people people who are not affiliated with any faith uh institution some would say uh you know that's that's what we call the nuns no when we when people minister to the nuns it should not be oh you guys have, have not found this beauty they're trying to gatekeep faith if they say that it's like gatekeeping your favorite shows that you're not to have this opinion or whatever but in actuality no we should act we should encourage people who are not yet decided or even not needing to choose if they have to have a religion in the first place to actually listen that's for me that's the main point of the new evangelization that if we're trying out these new things we're trying to make people at least listen hear us out you don't have to join us we're not forcing you but listen 
what we bring to you. And then if you find it so beautiful that you can't bear to not have it, then go ahead. Sure, for some, it sounds like a sales pitch. We're, we're already consumerizing ourselves. But if you're like this, um, if you're a person who really loves his or her faith so much, I think the best way that you can that you can really show it, show the authenticity of the faith or the authenticity the faith brings is to be yourself, for the faith to be itself. Because otherwise, what's the point? And that's the central lesson for me that religion should have. The reason why religions thrive is not because they they are fitting into the times. They're trying, they're not even, uh, not because they are trying to look like they're trendy or whatever. The reason why they survive is because they are. They've always there's something in them that keeps people coming back to them. That's it. So religion is not a fad, diba? It's it's yeah. not something that um just pops out. It's not a music video that just pops out and then goes. It's not um it's not let's say for example a cultural trend, but it's something that is constant, right? Yes, but I want to also point out that um, in an age where we're afraid of religion fading out, I think we should not be afraid of that happening. Now, I'm not going to sound like uh, somebody motivating you. Hey, no matter what happens, it's always going to be there. Truth is, everything goes through change. That's the law of entropy anyway. Everything goes through that. If religion's essence seems to go away, I think it's it, it can happen. But I, I don't believe it personally. But if it does happen, I think that that's all the more reason why we have to keep becoming authentic it's not about being super strict with our traditions it's not about being this really archaic institution that preserves everything since the beginning we do have to preserve our traditions but we don't do it at the expense of the essential message it brings the traditions we have are actually there to bring people to christ to that to that model of salvation most importantly to being a better person no that's what i want to stress as well religion what, what makes it different from philosophy and, to an extent, morality, because not everyone has to be religious to be moral, of course, is that it brings a different idea to the table that rather than walking around aimlessly, religion has some sort of telos, a purpose. Mm. It's God, or maybe it's enlightenment, nirvana. It has to be something that is not here. And when, even if we don't see it, no? The fact that we're actually striving for that higher, uh, beyond us, no, na, na goal, that's beautiful for me, honestly, because we're not stuck to the times now. I, that's ironic, no, that we're trying to stick uh, to 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 be trendy. Being trendy in a way, if we're so focused on that, we're actually leaving ourselves behind. We're not progressing. In fact, we're regressing because we're obsessed with with appearances. But in reality, religion isn't about those appearances. Or attracting people it's all about this search this continued search for meaning and for the essence of what really is authentic mm. that's it i see very beautiful message there mar no? and we now go to the last part of um of the podcast the last or the final um talking point but i think you have preempted us already on that point i just wanted to ask no? i have a question here that i've written i just wanted to ask um, regarding um, your views on, let's say, uh, the continued relevance of religion. But I think you've preempted this one. So let me change the question. Sure. The, the question would be, um, in the coming future, wherein, um, wherein the attention span of our, of our, let's say, or rather not, not the attention span, but wherein the issues of today are 
are becoming more and more, let's say, becoming more and more divisive for people, not just people of different colors or different races, but of different creeds as well as within those um, communities, no, within communities of the same color, the same creed, same faith. Um, I'd like to ask if um, if your view is that religion, especially in its core tenets, no, should should remain as is. For for example, because there are many people who are who are very steep in their religiosity who still do not support the plight of let's say the LGBT community because of um, what they represent towards their faith and also because uh, many of these issues that we that are stemming out in in today's society we call these issues um, for lack of parlance no or rather in political science parlance we call this as new politics no new issues that are coming in and even um, the great commentator and political scientist Francis Fukuyama did mention in his latest book that um, in today it is about the politics of dignity. Now, what would you say, for example, to let's say um, to how religion in general, not just the Catholic Church, but how religion in general continues to sideline much of the issues that are at the heart of this generation today, which are issues on, for example, in the Philippines, the Soji Bill, issues on um, equal protection, especially for women and for children. And also issues on, let's say, on dignity in general, no? the need for dignity coming stemming from different sectors in society. Okay, that's actually a very interesting uh, look into society, I'll be honest. That if you ask somebody who, who has this particularly strong view, for example, you know, the LGBT should not be this or that way, yeah, they would immediately say, what... Uh, this because it is like that, that that's what would be the normal answer no that the church teaches that homosexuality isn't really this ordered way of thinking now okay um that's very specific not lgbt i will say one thing though and maybe this will be important for anyone who's not catholic but if a religion says they do not support certain forms or unions they do not necessarily hate the person um, okay, I know the very common point, you know, hate the sinner, love the uh, what's this? Hate the hate the sin, love the sinner. I'm so sorry, my my bad. Hate hate the sin, love the sinner. There for some, there's no difference. They'll just hate the person because they embody that sin. And I'll be honest, that's pretty disappointing. Religion never does that, really. I mean, ideally, of course, we're not talking about the the actual practice because in actual practice, there's so many people who would misuse who would use it for for those interests. But what I mean is. If we're talking about sidelining issues of dignity, that's incredibly ironic to the very vision of religion. And if there are people who claim to be religious who are sidelining human dignity, I'm afraid that's that's pretty reflective of how they understand religion. Is religion a means to maintain the righteousness? Is religion a means to say, oh yeah, I'm saved. Uh, uh, I'll leave the rest of the universe alone. I'm going to be saved. Bye-bye. Because that's not usually what religion is. Religion isn't just private belief. It's expression. It's it's a belief in something beyond yourself. And when we're talking about beyond yourself, the end of of religion, let's let's be more specific, of Christianity isn't your personal salvation. It's just that's the misconception. The number one misconception and the number one reason dignity issues are sidelined is because it's all about us. It's never 
sir, I'll tell you, religion has never been about us human beings. No, it has never once been about the fate of our world. Really, I mean, our, our world, the society. It's never been about us ruling or whatever, whether the Christians will be the ultimate saved people. It's not a contest of, who, of who's going to be saved or who's going to be destroyed. It's all about God or all about this ultimate reality or at least all about the essence of that religion. The being of religion isn't dependent on the on the components of, of that religion. I mean, I'm talking about believers. It isn't. It's about this this th there's something beyond our descriptive abilities and that's why we have religion this longing this longing for something beyond ourselves whether it's an ultimate reality or a vision of a certain future for us and when we talk about these issues there's a tendency for christians for example to say ah you know what this is a passing world let's not get involved or even worse it's not about us it's it i mean we already have a clear point of this we don't talk about the lgbt there's this thinking bana it's unimportant because it doesn't affect us it we already have a say and it's very clear and to me that's that's really sad because to, to think religion has to be the, to be involved in the lives of people not in the same way the state has doesn't have institutional power but really and if i may if i may, if I may add further it, it's it's really about this idea that uh, that there is some sort of force that decided that it's that it would act in its own benevolence for our for our for our sake. Religion isn't about because we are saved, we're good and all that. No, no, it's never been about that. For Christianity, it's about the grace, the mercy of God. God is the focus. It's never been about the person himself. And that's why we have to focus on how religion should stop being too transcendental about its um its approach you see yes i believe god is the ultimate focus of any faith system regardless of whether it's god gods or not even about a god but the point is this greater reality you no know? uh even if yeah he's the focus it doesn't give an excuse for us to ignore social issues about the poor that's why the church has what is called uh universal destination of common good uh, of earthly goods even if you own that thing if there's somebody in need and you have the ability to help, you help them. Why are these things important? Why is G Why did Jesus even come here? That's a question people should keep asking themselves if they're Christians. Why did Christ come here in the first place? Did he say, oh yeah, you're saved, bye-bye. No, crucifixion <laughs> happened. Yes. Crucifixion happened for a reason. Because this God, who, who normally should just care about himself, cares about us. But we're not the center of attention. It's because this God cares. And that's really so beyond our imaginations. And why should we care that God cares? And that's where you try to respond to those issues. You don't sideline dignity. You don't sideline immigrants. You don't sideline indigenous people. You don't sideline LGBT. Heck, you don't even sideline the environment. I can't believe there are people who think that ignoring environmental issues is fine. All because we're comfortable. And that's another thing. Religion doesn't have to make you comfortable. It shouldn't make you comfortable. In the time of Jesus, when he introduced uh, his preachings, nobody was comfortable. Believe me, if they've heard stories about this kingdom of God, where the last are the are the greatest and the greatest are the least, that's going to that's going to scratch heads. I swear. <laughs> and that's the thing, sir. And that's really the thing. Religion shouldn't sideline these issues, regardless of what a religion says about a particular group or issue fact is when they're talking about the dignity of the human person they're not saying because we're special 
we're not special. We're dust in the air. We're going to die soon. And I'm sorry for being so bleak, but that's a reality we have to accept. You're you're not invulnerable to the coronavirus, guys. You wear your mask. You take care of yourselves. If you're Christian, don't say you're vaccinated by Jesus. That's never been the point of his teaching. The point is you guys are so easy to die, easy to kill that you need God in your lives. That's all the more reason why we have to care. We have to care about the issues in our lives because at the end of the day, if if nobody's helping, who will? And it's us because we're probably the only ones who are closest to God for these people in need. It's that simple. And I can't believe there are so many people who do not see that. Mm, I see. So that's a very impassioned, uh, very impassioned statement you got there, Mark. And um, that I think we'll have to end our our show on that note no and thank you kayo for your participation in this podcast session today um that's really that's really a lot to process and i hope for those who are listening um that you reflect critically on what has been said in this podcast session and um what has been shared eruditely and smartly and of course um very well spoken by our guests Mr. Mar Louis Vincent Reyes. So thank you again, Mar, for your participation this afternoon. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Sir Rayla. And to all the listeners, I also hope that whatever this interview did to you, maybe you're still going to critique religion. It's totally fine. In fact, I encourage everyone to critique what they hear. Why? Because, come on, uh, we're not going to listen to everything 100% agree with it. We're we're still going to have problems with it. And that's why we have to continue talking, continue doing these conversations. Right? Mm. Yes, that is indeed true, Mar. So thank you once again. Thank you so much. And thank you as well for listening to the Kasinatian podcast alongside the a learning playlist podcast you can hear uh, you can you can replay this episode using the link that was um, that you have access to to listen to this podcast as well as you can you can follow us at facebook.com slash kasinatian podcast and for the learning playlist facebook.com slash learning playlist okay so uh, that's it for for us in this session Thank you for listening and this is your host Ryan Dave Rayla. We will catch you on the next one.